Embassy City Church. I have missed you. I'm sending you a big hug. I'm not a guest. I'm an ambassador here. And the, the building is empty without you. But today, I want to tell you that I am so privileged to stand here because I'm going to fight these tears probably for the next 30 minutes because I have come today uh, with a word that is like fire in my bones. I have come today um, prophetically to speak a word that God has spoken to me and my only prayer is, Holy Spirit, I dare you to, to preach this to them the way you preached it to me. Because I feel like there have, people, there have been people and you're sitting on your couch right now and you have been crying out desperately, God, I need a word, I need a word, I need a word. And I want to tell you today that uh, Tim invited me, but God sent me. And he sent me here today with a word from heaven that is just for you. Let's pray right now before I preach. Holy Spirit, we desperately need you. Lord, as we sit on our couches in the middle of turmoil in our life, we know that one word from you can change everything. And so, Holy Spirit, I beg you, I dare you to preach this word to them the way you preached it to me. Right now, I take authority over every hindering and distracting spirit that would fight to capture their attention. And I declare, Lord, that your word shall go forth today and that your people will hear your voice and they will never, ever be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's, let's, let's talk uh, from the word today, right? Let's, let's start with a verse. This is the verse that I'm going to read to you a verse in just a moment from Second Chronicles. Just to give you a little context, I'm not going to preach the entire body of this text, just this one verse. So I just want to give you a little context. And who they're talking to is this is um, written to a king, King Asa, who had, when he had nothing and he was young and inexperienced and right, really needy, um, he, he was really loyal to God. But when he got some success, he got a little full of himself, and he thought he didn't need to depend or rely on God the same way. And so this verse is actually a rebuke to him from God's heart, and it says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro the whole earth, and he's searching to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal. To him. Wherever you're sitting right now, I just want you to say the word loyal. Loyal. Today, this verse is going to be the anchor for our entire message. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro the earth, searching for a heart that is loyal to him so that he might show himself strong on their behalf. So the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. They're, they're looking, they're looking, they're looking. This is a picture, Lord. This is a picture of like this non-stop aggressive high-speed search. The whole earth, not just America, the earth. He's looking back and forth and back and forth. And, and it's interesting to me that he's looking back and forth because that means he's having a hard time finding what he's looking for. What is he looking for? The eyes of the Lord constantly searching. And, and what he's trying to find is a heart that is loyal. You know what loyalty is. I mean, I don't have to know where you're from because from the, from the street to the boardroom, loyalty is the same thing. Loyalty means I'm down for you. It don't matter if I have to take a bid for you, do time for you. It doesn't matter what I have to stop, even if it, if it hurts me a little bit. See, loyalty will get you promotion when experience doesn't because a CEO is like, uh, uh, can you just be down for me? You know loyalty. Wherever you are, you know what that means. It means even if it doesn't seem like it's for my benefit, 
I'm always going to choose you. I'm yours. And it says the eyes of the Lord are nonstop looking for a heart that is just down for him, that is just loyal, that says, even when it's hard, even when I don't understand what you do, God, I, I, I'm loyal. That's the one thing you can know about me is that I'm loyal. His eyes are looking and they're looking and they're looking and they're having a hard time finding it. But when he finds it, what's he going to do with it? And it says this, I'm, I'm looking so that I might strengthen that heart. I find so much comfort in this because that means that he's not looking for a heart that's perfect because a perfect heart wouldn't need to be strengthened. He says, I can take a heart that's been damaged or ravaged, but all I want to know is today, can you be loyal? Uh, I'm looking and I'm, I'm looking and I'm looking and all I want to know, is there somebody in this earth that can just be down? You know, about, I don't know, five, six years ago, I lose track of time. My husband and I were about to celebrate our first year of marriage and we moved to Australia to pastor a church for a few years. And um, Australia is a beautiful, amazing country. There's so many good things about it. I wish I was there right now. Um, but it is a huge adjustment because it's a different country. So there was such culture shock, right? So we moved there, and it's like the little things to the big things. So it's like the seasons are reversed. So right when it's cold, when it's summer for us, it's like freezing winter for theirs. So Christmas time, it's like summer, and, and you're trying to get in the Christmas spirit, and your Christmas staff party is like at a barbecue, and there's sweat running down your back, and someone has the nerve to be playing like, let it snow, let it snow. I'm like, why do you guys, what are you doing? So I mean, the seasons are reversed. Um, Let's see, you go into a, a cafe or somewhere to eat and you're like, wow, this is amazing. You don't tip. There's no tipping, which is great until you find out the kind of service you get when you don't tip. Um, don't you dare ask for anything that's not specifically, don't ask me no pickles on your burger, nothing, no, nothing special. You're not going to tip me. Go get your own water. I'm not coming to check on you, nothing. And you're like, you know what? I kind of like tipping. It was great. Um, let's see, what else kind of differences were they there? Uh, little things like um, one of the girls told me originally when I got there, like, hey, if you're texting another girl or a woman, you kind of have to end the text with at least one or two X's, kind of like XO, and if not, it's kind of offensive. So, okay, I'm like, in my text with an X, in your text with an X. I'm trying to remember all these things and everything. Every day is a reminder. Stores close at 5 o'clock. No, I mean malls, Kmart, whatever they're kind of target, everything. Everything closes at 5 o'clock. So I moved to Australia and I'm like, I got to get my house set up. I'm working during the day and I go right after work and I'm trying, I got to buy furniture. We moved there with nothing except for our suitcases. And every day, everything's closed at five, except for one day a week, there's late night shopping and they're open till nine. That's right, nine. Uh, Sundays, the supermarket's closed at five. You better be out of there by five. So there's so many, so many things that are just like culture shock and they speak the same language, but I mean, there's some differences like, you know, like, you know, I got to, um, Hey, you want to meet in the Arvo for a cuppa? And you're like, let, let me just think about that. What does that mean? Oh, in the afternoon for like a cup of tea or something. Okay. And so you're just constantly trying to keep up with the culture. I mean, my first uh, days there, right? I had to go like a week before my husband. And <laughs> this is a funny story. Uh, true story. So I get there. I'm preaching all weekend. So they have a driver like kind of picking me up and taking me from campus to campus. I'm exhausted. I'm jet lagged. The flight is about 24 hours and thousands of dollars, which is another reason it's just so hard to be so far away because you know that if anything happens back home, I can't just like jump on a plane and be there. So I've traveled about 24 hours. My husband isn't even there yet. I'm jet lagged. It's about a 12 to 15 hour time difference at that point. 
And I'm so tired after the week, and then they say to me, okay, here, you know what, tomorrow, you're just gonna take the day off and chill, it's Monday, there's a car parked down there, here's the keys, sleep, wake up when you want, and then just take the car, do what you want tomorrow, we'll see you Tuesday. I'm like, that is amazing. Monday morning, I wake up, headache, I'm just, my head's pounding, I need coffee, like, I always need coffee, but I need coffee more than ever in my life, and so I'm like, all right, let me just go to this car, let me GPS find a place, I, I pull it up, and then I get down to the car, open the door, and like, oh, that's funny. Where's the steering wheel? Oh, the steering wheel's on the other side. Let me walk around the other side of the car, get on the other side. I get it, I'm trying to get it out of the garage. I'm like, oh my goodness, the steering wheel's on the wrong side of the car. <laughs> then I get out to the street, and I realize you also drive on the other side of the street. I'm freaking out right now, because I'm trying to, I need coffee so bad, like I'm willing to risk my life for it. It's not a question, I'm gonna do this, but the question is, am I gonna hit multiple things on my way. I'm on the other side, I'm jet lagged, I'm homesick, I can't believe I'm in another culture, and now the GPS is talking to me and it's saying things that I don't understand, like kilometers and, and meters, and I'm like, just tell me what, where I'm going and when to turn before I die. It was like, just culture shock. But that culture, culture shock was actually nothing compared to the culture shock I experienced a couple decades before that. When I was 18 years old and living in a pastor's home in a small, kind of small town in the West Coast. And I decided I felt called to move and, and be part of a ministry that was in the inner city of Brooklyn. And so my first time away from home, I, um, I moved to a part of Brooklyn that um, probably something like you see on TV at that point. And it was extremely dangerous. And the whole idea was that if we're going to minister to the people that live in these neighborhoods, we need to understand their life. So we live among them. We live in the same neighborhood. So for almost a decade, I lived there. When I first moved there, I was 18 years old. And overnight, New York is a whole other country, you know, aside from that. But here I am. I, I stand out. It's, it's, it's not hard to tell that I don't belong here because me and some of the other staff, we're the only white people you're going to see anywhere ever. So you can't stand out. All of a sudden you're like, hi, I'm new here. Um, and so I'm, it's a culture shock though because everything from the small things, obviously there's a lot of little things. You're, you're walking everywhere. You're having to lie to cab drivers to get them to take you home because they don't drive to your neighborhood. Um, you're, you're speaking the same language, but it's like you're just listening a lot because like who knew that mad brick could mean really cold? Like who knew? I didn't know. Um, who knew that when you end the the, a sentence and you say right, that you're not actually looking for a response, right? Who knew? So I'm in culture shock, and, and every day I'm, I'm learning. I've got to learn now in a very dangerous neighborhood, walking out in the streets in crack houses and under bridges and with people who are shooting up and, and transforming right before my eyes as I speak to them. I have to learn at 18 years old how to live in a place that I should be scared to even walk. I have to learn how to live um, and fall asleep where there's gunshots and sirens and screaming and block parties and helicopters, search, search copters you know, above your head. You have to learn to just sleep in the noise and, and, and you have to learn how to earn the respect of the drug dealers who when you walk into the building, slide across the stairway um, to try and intimidate, you have to learn that what you have to do is actually just step over them. You have to learn that you don't cross the other side of the street when you see someone uh, intimidating up ahead. You actually have to, you need to just kind of walk through them and show them you're not scared. I have to learn this. At 18 years old, I have to learn how to survive being backed into a corner at a crack house. I have to learn. And this is all me also learning just how to be out of my own home 
at 18. How to, I have to figure out how to do the laundry and clean. I mean, I always did that, but everything is new. I had to understand that when the guys in the street said, God bless you, mommy, they weren't being spiritual. I didn't know. So everything was such a culture shock. And this is what I want to tell you. It was exhausting, and it was actually, I would say, traumatic. It was traumatic to be in such a new place, having to adjust to a new culture, and you knew every day that your life depended on you being able to adjust to this new country. You have to, it's not a new country, but this new culture. You have to learn to adjust. Your life literally depends on it, and you're scared, but you can't show your vulnerability. And you're homesick, and you miss familiar, but you can't show that. You have to figure out a way to survive in this new place. And when I look back, I realize I was so young. I was about the same age as these three boys in the Old Testament, when they dealt with a culture shock that was even more traumatic than mine. In the book of Daniel, there's, there's these three guys, they're the teenagers, and they are born in Israel. But when we meet them, they're in Babylon. Babylon is the enemy of Israel. Babylon is everything opposed to and different than their life. They're about the same age as I was, and, and I'm, I'm talking about them now because when I tried to think of a story in Scripture, where we see this verse from Chronicles play out. What does it look like when people have a heart that is so loyal to God that he's searching and searching and searching? What does it look like when somebody finally makes God's eyes stop? And what does it look like when he finds what he's looking for? In the book of Daniel, we meet these guys. You know them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you've been around embassy for any length of time, you already know that that was pretty much their slave names. It's not their given names. When they were just teenagers, something happened in their lives that I don't think we talk about often enough. We, often when we preach this text, we move really quick from exile to the fiery furnace. They were exiled and they didn't bow. And I think we forget and we don't really understand the full weight of this. They were teenage boys. In Daniel chapter 1, you can read it for yourself later, in Daniel chapter 1, we start to see something about them. And we see once we look more deeply that the, the furnace was not the first fire that they faced. It's not the first fire they survived. They're teenage boys. Here's what I know about them from my studies, that they were born in Israel. They were born pretty much into royalty or nobility. They were extremely intelligent, articulate. They were handsome. They were, because of the family they were born into, their whole future was set. Okay, they were going to be successful. It was already predetermined, pretty much. The expectation now was so high. They had the best schooling. They had learned the ways of the one true God, the scripture that had been written and given. They, they knew and committed a lot of it to memory. They, they knew about the Lord. And, and, and here they are. They've got everything in the world going for them. And they're teenagers. And one day, in the middle of the night, essentially, everything gets ripped from them. Imagine going to sleep today in America, and you wake up tomorrow in Russia, and, the, and they tell you you're going to learn Russian, and you're going to work for Vladimir Putin. Can you imagine how scary 
that would be like, have, have you ever really thought about this, right? Let's, let's just stop and think about how traumatizing this is. See, I chose to move to Bushwick, Bed-Stuy area of Brooklyn, New York at 18 years old. And I knew I could get on a plane if I ever decided, but these, these boys didn't have a choice. They were taken captive. Okay, so the, the, uh, the king of Babylon comes in and God allows it because of the people in Israel before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that had been disloyal to God. He actually allows them to be taken over. So they're taken from their country, taken from their home. They're thrown into Babylon, and now they lose everything. Every dream they had, every plan they had for their future, all the success they envisioned for their lives, everything from the very beginning, they have lost everything. They've lost their family. They've lost familiarity, and they wake up in a new land, and now they have to have new names, and it's a new language, and it's a new culture, and they are only teenagers. Every day... They are trying to grieve things that they can't bury. Every day, they are having to reckon with the fact that everything that I thought my life was going to be is no longer. They are kind of like us right now. They're in a new normal. And they're having to figure out how to live life in this new normal and how to grieve the things that they've lost without looking vulnerable. So they're taken from their land and they're brought, ripped away from their families and their homes. And they're brought into the king's palace. And he decides he's going to recruit them. A lot of the exiles aren't going to be, but there's a handful of them that are recruited because he thinks they're the cream of the crop. This is how much they have going for them. That they are part of a small team that are recruited to work for the king himself. And so here we go. They're educated, everything going for them. But now none of that will ever happen, okay? Every bit of familiarity or safety they have is just completely gone. So here they are, and they're feeling the grief of what they've lost. I just want you to imagine being in their shoes. I want to imagine being a teenager, adjusting to a new country, a new culture, a new language, a new lifestyle, new everything, and you are grieving inside but the person that you're working for is so scary that you are afraid for your life, so you cannot even show it. You have to be strong on the outside. And so here they are. Internally, the pressure is so strong. But here's what else you need to know about Babylon. Babylon is what you would call a polytheistic place. And that means this. They believe in like serving any and every god that you want. You can worship whoever you want. You can believe in whatever god you want as long as you don't believe they're the only God. You can worship your God and our God. It's fine. Bring your little God with you from Israel. That's fine. As long as the only thing offensive to us is if you believe that your God is exclusive and you only worship him. In other words, polytheism says we will respect anything except for loyalty. But they know very clearly on God, from God's perspective that when you're, if you're put into a new country, you will either be an ambassador or a traitor. There is no in-between. There is no third option. The God that we serve demands complete loyalty. So very early on in chapter one, we see them faced with a challenge, right? So they have to make decisions every day. How do we submit to the authority we've been given, but always remain loyal 
to God. So there's certain things like they, they, they don't reject the names. They have a, a precedent, a biblical precedent. Moses was renamed, and God was not unpleased with that or displeased with that. God even calls him Moses. Okay, so the name is not an issue. They don't actually have an authority to change our identity. It's just a name. Okay, but then there comes this moment, and they say this, we're going to train you for three years in our pagan school, and we're going to raise you up to be great leaders. Um, here's the thing. The king, we're going to bring the best food, the king's table, from the king's table, and you're going to eat from the king's table, the best food. But here's the problem. These three boys and Daniel have a talk, and they decide, I don't know about this one. This one, I can't do it. I can't do it because... Uh, I, I feel like it's an act of disloyalty, God, disloyalty to God. See, some people think this food was offered to idols, and, and we don't really know that. But here's, here's what I do know. The king thought that they needed this food in order to be able to perform and to excel. So he wanted them to depend on this food as a source. And something in them said, I can take a name, but if I take your food, then you're going to be able to say that you're the reason that I succeed, and that will not please my God. That's an act of disloyalty, so I'm going to have to take a stand and reject your food. So even though they're scared for their lives, as they should be, um, they say, just test us give us 10 days and they are they offer their loyalty to God and we already see this in this opportunity that God's eyes stop on them and how do we know that because it says that they uh, the eyes of the Lord when he finds a heart that's loyal he will strengthen that heart and it says in Daniel chapter 1 and chapter 2 that after they took a stand and decided to choose loyalty that God made them not as strong as everybody else not twice as strong but he made them 10 times stronger than everyone else because they decided that they would be loyal. Amen. Now let's talk about how I would have felt. Why do I have to choose you, God, right now? I actually, I feel like I have a little bit of an excuse to bow. I have, an, I have an excuse because you've put me in a really tough position. You've let some stuff happen in my life that I don't deserve. I, I, I'm a little frustrated with you, God, because I almost feel, if I'm honest, a little bit betrayed by you because you've taken everything from me. You've turned my life upside down and I didn't do anything. I feel a little betrayed, but see, loyalty yeah. is saying even if I feel betrayed by you, I would never betray you because my heart won't let me. I have a heart that is loyal. So they say, God, I don't understand why you've allowed me to suffer, but they may have taken everything else from me, but they have not taken my heart. I've still got a heart that it's loyal. I'm suffering, but I'm loyal. I'm sad and scared, but I'm loyal. Because you don't know someone's loyal till they have a chance to be disloyal. Amen. Loyalty is only, is only proven in the fire. And so they find out already what God does with a loyal heart. We move on. Daniel chapter 2, we find that these boys some years later are given a massive promotion. And now here they are, foreigners in the land, but now they have political power and they have possession, excuse me, they have um, position and prominence and some power and authority. And so here we see them facing a whole other kind of fire because nothing tests a heart like promotion. See, it's easy to be loyal to God when you got nothing else and you need him. But God wants to know, can I trust you that if I put you in a position before men, it won't change your position before me? Can I trust you with success? And, and God wants to know, can I do this and trust you? They have achieved success for some years and they have still remained loyal to God. But here's what you may not know. 
In all these years of success, there comes a certain point where they get a letter. And now up until this point, all of the exiles have held on to this hope that this um, exile is temporary. And at some point, they will get to go back to the land that they know, to their home. And then one day, in the middle of their great success here, a letter comes in the mail. It's a letter from the prophet Jeremiah. And their hope is shattered in this letter. I know everybody wants a word from a prophet. I don't think they wanted this word. And I hate to actually share this with you because I know some of you are going to have to go like rip a bumper sticker off your car in a second. But um, we, we need to understand the context. So they get this letter. This letter is in Jeremiah chapter 29. And if you go read it later, you'll actually see the heading of the chapter says, A Letter to the Exiles. The prophet Jeremiah sends a word from God and he says this, Okay, I know you guys think that, that one day you're going to get to go back, but I need to be honest with you. God says he's going to restore Israel, but not in your day. You're not going to get to go back, so you need to settle down where you are, build houses. I need you to make the best of your new normal because you're never going back to the way things... Th Somebody needs to get this word that you have been just praying and praying. God, let it be back like it used to be. And God is saying, you're never going back. This is a new normal. And he's saying to you the same thing. Settle down. Make the best of where you are now. He tells them, pray that Babylon prospers because if it prospers, you'll prosper. And then he says these words, the prophet from the mouth of God, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans. I have for you, says the Lord. I hate I ruined that verse for you. But when he says this verse to you, the context is, I know you had a plan for your life, but my plan doesn't end the way yours did. I know that you had plans for your life, and they were good plans, but they weren't my plans. You, you had all these dreams and expectations where you were, but that's not the plan. And real loyalty is this, that it's understanding that sometimes in order for God's plans to succeed, yours have to fail. And loyalty is being willing to stand honestly before God and say, I want to see your plans for my life succeed, even if it means that mine have to fail. And even after this letter, we find them loyal to God. Dreams shattered, hopes shattered. I'll never go back, but I'll never stop being loyal. Daniel chapter 3 comes, and this is the moment. This is the famous movie moment. Three boys who've been to hell and back. Three boys who've cried tears privately. Three boys who never got to say goodbye to the life or the loved ones that they knew. Three boys who have faced many fires and are standing side by side, by side today in the moment of their life. In Daniel chapter 3, the king builds this massive idol. And today is a big day because it's the dedication of the idol. Today is the day we dedicate it, so the who's who are coming. All the important people are going to be here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are some of the who's who because they're rulers now in the province of Babylon. So they're invited, and there they come. And they're standing there, and all of a sudden the microphone turns on. Hello, is this thing on? Okay. Here's the thing. When you guys hear the music, when the beat drops, 
Get on the floor. No, when the beat drops, when the music comes, everybody is going to bow. Now, me personally, I think these guys are talking to each other. He said bow? He said bow. I'm not bowing. I'm not bowing. Okay, me either. We won't bow. If you don't bow, you will be thrown into a flame of fire. Did he say burned alive? Because I think his mic was, did you? He said burned alive. Oh, wait. I, I really didn't, I didn't picture my life going down like this. That really sounds like it would hurt. Have you ever heard of, have you ever heard? That can't be good. Is there any way out of this? You got a scripture? What, what can we do right now? He says, if, if you don't bow, you're going to be burned alive and every fire they've ever faced culminates to this one defining moment. And this is where you're tempted to find a scripture to fit and excuse what you're about to do. This is where I would have been like, you know, when in Rome, do it with the Romans, I don't know. And that's why it matters who you're standing by. You need somebody next to you that when they're standing there will be like, bro, that scripture is out of context. We can't bow, right? Yeah, that's what you need. And so here they are because they're here and he's saying, he's saying I gotta bow, but, but my God has said if I ever bow, I'll die. He says, if I don't bow, I'll die. But my God says, if I do bow, I'll die. See, their kingdom says, it's cool, I can worship this God and then go home and worship my God too. But my kingdom says, there is, there is no in-between. There is no third option. You're either loyal or you're not. You're either an ambassador or you're a traitor. So at this point, when the fire is there, they have to decide, whose word am I going to stake my life on? The word of this king or the word of my king? And what you do with the word is always an act of loyalty to one kingdom or another. What you do with the word is always an act of loyal, loyalty to one kingdom or another. Remember Jesus? He's in the wilderness. What does he use against the devil? He uses the word. But what does the devil use? He uses the word too. Yeah, yeah. What you do with the word is always an act of loyalty to one kingdom or another. You know, when I was beginning to prepare this message, I was laying on my bed two, three in the morning, and I saw a picture. It's like that scene you see, a famous scene you see play out in movies all the time, right? Where whether it's a, a boss or a manager or someone, they call somebody into the office, and that person comes into the office, and they are standing there, and the manager or the boss says, have a seat. And what does that person say? I'll stand. I'll stand. And I saw this scene. What does that mean? We see it. it uh, those two words carry so much power when you see it play out, right? And what it kind of translates to in those moments is, you don't have the authority that you think you have over me. I'll stand. Or it means, I won't be here long. You want me to sit? No, I'll stand. Or it means, you're not going to endear me. We're not friends. I'll, I'll stand. Have a seat. Let's talk. No. No, I, I'll stand. And this is the moment that these boys are invited in and told, it's okay, don't even consider it bowing, just, just have a seat and let's talk. And we are talking about them today because even though they had a million excuses to bow, they decided in that moment two words. We're talking about them because they uttered two words and they said, I'll stand. They were scared, but they stood. They were, um, they were traumatized, but they stood. And when they stood, God's eyes stopped. 
God's eyes, they knew as they stood there making the decision that his eyes are looking, and they're looking to and fro the whole earth, trying to find a heart that is loyal. He's looking, and he's looking, and looking, and they say this, whatever threats have already survived enough, I'll stand. You can say whatever you want, threaten anything. I've cried enough, I'll stand. <laughs> I've lost enough, I'll stand. Life has taken a lot from me, but of all the things it's taken, it has still not taken my heart. I've still got a heart, God, that's loyal. And when they had lost everything, they discovered they still had the one thing that God was looking for. They had a heart that's loyal. See, God can make a man anything. He can make a man talented. He made them 10 times better. He can make a man smart. He can make a man powerful. He can make a man wealthy. He can make a man charismatic. He can make a man talented. God can make a man anything he wants, but he cannot make a man loyal. He has to find a man loyal. Daniel 3.16. Daniel 3.16, we see this. <laughs> they say this to him because he tries to give them a second chance. He tries to give them a second chance, and he says, they said you wouldn't bow. Let's try it again. And they say, we don't need another chance to be disloyal. And they say this to him. They say, we do not need to defend ourselves to you. In other words, this isn't between us and you, it's between us and God. All right, we understand that loyalty is not an option. Verse 17 and 18, they say this, they say, we know that God can deliver us out of your hands, but even if he doesn't, I love even if he doesn't, because it means this, no matter what they've lost or gained, failure, success, there's no entitlement in them that says, well, I just stood and I was loyal all these years, so now God better deliver me from this fire. He says, no, 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 no. What I know is this, that God can deliver me from this fire, but that doesn't mean that he will. He can and he will if he wills, not if I demand or don't get to manipulate or bribe him like a man. He's a giver, not a debtor. I am a debtor. I am. There's no entitlement. They say, I know that he can. But even if he doesn't, they say to him, look, don't think that if I get in there and you don't see the salvation of God, that you can pull me out part crispy, and then I will finally bow. Don't, be, don't pull me out of that fire, because the same thing taking me in there will keep me in there. I've got a heart that is loyal. My loyalty is not based on my profit or loss. My heart is loyal. Verse 22, we see that the strongest men are ushering him in the fire, and the fire is so hot that the strongest men die on their way, right? So the strongest men die trying to take them in, and before they even get in the fire, they're already a miracle, and sometimes you just have to stop when the heat comes and thank God that even though you're walking through fire, you didn't die and you didn't make out like everybody else did. You still got your marriage, you still got your mind, you still got something, you're already a miracle. So here they go, and they die pushing them into the fire, and it says that they fall to the ground, and here comes the heat, it's getting hot, and, and Second, Chronicles, Second Chronicles says the guys of God the eyes of God are looking and looking and looking and they're looking and they're looking and Revelation says his eyes burn like fire so his eyes are looking and his eyes are burning his eyes are looking and his eyes are burning and his eyes are looking and his eyes are burning and you're feeling the heat in your life right now and I want to tell you this could it be that the heat you're feeling is because God's eyes have stopped the eyes of God burn like fire and they look for a heart 
that is loyal. And so here these boys are. It says they fall to the ground, which is interesting to me because this word fall down is the same Aramaic word used when they're told when the music comes on, you better fall down to the ground. And here they are in the middle of the fire, and they've, they've decided to stand this whole time, but in this moment, now they are forced down, and they are pushed down. And it's funny because heat rises, right? So I think I would have stayed on the ground, but here they are. They're, they're, they're on the floor, and they have now been pushed down to the ground, but yet God looks down, and he says, oh, hold up. Hold up right there. That kind of loyalty, and his eyes stop, and you say, when I see that kind of loyalty, oh, you're not going to outdo me. I'm not sending another person. I'm going to step down, and he steps down, pre-incarnate Christ, steps down into the fire and says, you won't outdo me. You won't outloyal me. When I find a heart that's loyal to me, I will step into the fire. And when the king sees them, even though they were thrown down, they're no longer down. They are standing because even in the fire they said you might knock me down but my heart will get me back up because I'll stand yes. I'll stand Hallelujah. interesting because it says Nebuchadnezzar says I see four men but have you ever asked yourself I know Nebuchadnezzar saw them but but did the boys see the fourth man in the fire did they see him the truth is when you look at scripture we don't know but I know this, sometimes you won't. Job didn't. Job didn't. The fire of his life, all the loss that he suffered and maintained loyalty to God in the middle of it, he, he says this in Job chapter 23. He says, I'm looking everywhere. And I can't find him. Has anybody seen him? I'm looking east. I'm looking west. I'm looking. Has anyone seen him? I cannot find God. Verses 8 through 10, we see Job saying, everywhere I go, I can't find him. I don't know where he's at, but he knows where I'm at. And he says this, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. How is gold tested? In the fire. Sometimes you won't see him in the fire. And the only way to know where he is, that he's in the fire with you, is by looking and realizing that a fire will always kill you or clean you. It'll always refine you or kill you. And if you're still alive and in the fire, that means you're not alone. I'm not telling you that you have to like what you're going through right now. I'm telling you that they didn't like the fire. They survived the fire. Listen to me. Just because you can't stand it, doesn't mean you can't stand in it. Just because you can't stand it, doesn't mean you can't stand in it. See, I, I've said a lot today, maybe too much, but I was really sent here prophetically with the word for you from the Lord. Two words that God is putting in your mouth, and it's two words that say this, I'll stand. The enemy has been inviting you into, into conversations like, hey, come on, let's sit, let's sit and talk. Let's sit and, let's sit and talk about how you've tried enough with your marriage and God wants you to be happy. You should try again. I'll stand. Let's talk. Let's talk about how right now you can't afford to tithe and give. I'll stand. 
See, we think sometimes that what God is looking is for some people to do these great things for you. But, but God is oftentimes just looking for a heart that says, I, I have nothing left to give except for loyalty. I'm going to stand. What I do with the word, what the word says is always an act of loyalty. So whatever conversation you're trying to have, your word versus the word of God, I'm going to stand on God's word. And the enemy is saying, hey, let's have a seat. Come sit down and talk. Let's talk about how your life is not worth living. I'll stand. Let's talk about how the calling on your life isn't worth fighting for, I'll stand. Let's talk about how God hasn't healed you and he probably never will, so you should stop praying. I'll stand. God is sending me here just to tell you that somebody needs to stand up right where you are in your living room and make up in your mind. I'm not figuring everything out, but I can make up my mind today. This one thing, God, I'll stand. I'll stand. When it gets hot, I'll stand. When I don't understand why you've allowed things to happen in my life, I'll stand. I've got a heart that is loyal. And some of you have been, when you look at your life, all you see is how bloodied you are in the ring. You're like a boxer. And God showed me this picture recently for a friend, and he reminded me last night because it's for for so many of you, you see yourself as bloodied in the ring and swollen and, and just messed up. And when you look at yourself, you, all you see is the hits you've taken. All, all you've seen is all the knockdowns. All you see is like, man, I just hit after hit and I'm bruised and I'm battered and I'm wounded. And you see the woundedness. But what God sees is he goes, whew, do you see that? Just keeps getting back up. Look at that loyalty. Still standing. Lots to figure out, but still standing. I'm going to get in the ring with that one. Because if you stand still, you'll see the salvation of the Lord. I'll fight for you. I never asked you to fight this battle. Asked you, would you stand? Do you have a heart that is loyal? Let's talk about how God hasn't fulfilled his word for you. I'll stand. The eyes of the Lord are searching over the whole earth, and he's looking right past your home, right past your clothes, right into your heart. Will you make his eyes stop? They're searching, they're searching, and I know you feel weak, but you don't stand with your legs, you stand with your heart. I'll stand. I'm going to pray for you today that God's eyes will stop. When you show God your loyalty, you ain't seen nothing. He will outloyal you every day, and that's not even a word. I want to pray for you because as I've prepared over the last weeks for this message, can't tell you how many nights I've laid in my bed at 2, 3 in the morning with tears, and my eyes and my heart just heavy because I see you as God sees you so desperate for a word there is someone as a pastor who you've already written your resignation letter and it's in a drawer somewhere and the Lord says burn it and write a new letter that says I'll stand God, show me another person. I believe you're a pastor too. And not on paper, but in your heart. 
you have already written your suicide letter. And in the name of Jesus, I declare a new letter is being written in your heart right now, two words that just say, I'll stand. I'll stand. Someone's marriage is hanging on by a thread. Divorce papers hidden somewhere. Set them on fire and write a new letter to your spouse. Somebody needs to reach across the couch and just grab their hand and say, I'll stand. I'll stand. But stay here just for this. I know you can't stand it. But it doesn't mean you can't stand in it. Today, the eyes of God are looking, looking, looking. You may feel like you have lost everything, but when you lose everything, you realize you still have the one thing this world cannot touch. You can't touch this. This heart is loyal. God, I don't have all the things left that I intended to bring to you and offer you. I still have my heart. When God's eyes stop, he doesn't pull you out of the fire all the time. He steps in there with you. They walked in there, nothing was burned on them except for the thing that bound them. You can tell who sent the fire by what it burns away. Father, in the name of Jesus, whew, I thank you right now that you're empowering your people with courage. You can't make us loyal, but today what you're doing is you're stirring up our hearts to desire loyalty. And I pray that people today would take a look in the mirror and decide to stop begging you to make things go back the way they used to and invite you into the place that they are now. I thank you, God, that you know the plans that you have for their life. Give your people the power to stop your eyes, Lord. I'd rather be refined by your fire than live another day without it. I declare your people will live and go forth and they'll stand. In Jesus' name, amen.